Eat Connectivity. Featuring the new segment, Fireball. Neil, Addison, and John debate Sonic the Hedgehog. Feature topic Nintendo advertising with Nick, Donald, and Zach. Episode 177. Who are you? I'm Neil Ronahan, and welcome to uh, a thing about Sonic the Hedgehog here on Connectivity. Um, with me to debate the merits of 2D Sonic the Hedgehog, we have uh, the pro-Sonic supporter, Addison Webb. Hey, Neil, I'm hanging on the edge of tomorrow. Oh, and we have Mr. Mr. Sonic was always bad himself, John Raritan. It's time to live and learn that Sonic is not a good game. So as we escape from the city... Uh, first, we need to we need to back up a little bit, and uh, right, so Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> um, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, launched on the Sega Genesis back in 1991. Um, it was basically Sega's. I mean, this is kind of stuff that everyone should know. Uh, Sega was wanted to fight against Mario. They came up with Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, if you want to read more about the origins of Sonic the Hedgehog, I very much recommend. Uh, Console Wars, the book by, oh God, Blake Harris, right? That's the dude's name? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, by that guy. It's very good. Um, and, it, and it talks a lot about the origins of Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and then another Sonic the Hedgehog game, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, came out in 1992, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog CD, or Sonic CD, in 1993, and then Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Sonic and Hedgehog, or Sonic and Knuckles came out in 1994. So there was a whole bunch of Sonic that all kind of was based on the similar 2D principles. Um, I grew up with those games on Sega Genesis, and, and pretty much all of these games, in case you're wondering why we're talking about this on a Nintendo podcast, uh, all of these games, with the exception of Sonic CD, are all available on Nintendo platforms. Um, and, I mean, at this point, Sonic is kind of mildly Nintendo-exclusive, or Nintendo-focused at least. That might change after how bad Sonic Boom did, but we'll see. Um, so where I'm at with the Sonic the Hedgehog games is that I have fond memories of them from when I was younger. I, I was a kid who owned a Sega Genesis, and I loved playing Sonic the Hedgehog, specifically Sonic 2. Um, as I've revisited the game over the past couple years, uh, I think that the, the original game, Sonic the Hedgehog, is kind of a bad game, but not to the part where I, I despise it. I just think that there's a lot of design elements that kind of are counterintuitive to the way the game is is laid out. Because you have Sonic, who runs very, very fast, and that's the whole thing that the game was built around, and a lot of the game design forces you to slow down constantly. Um, and it seems like, to me, that Sega struggled with making in 
interesting gameplay design in the original Sonic the Hedgehog that would make that kind of fast gameplay work. And if you approach Sonic the Hedgehog 1 from a context of being a little more methodical, treating it more like a Mario platformer, which is what Sega didn't want it to be treated as, then you have a, a better game, a more enjoyable game, as you kind of, you know, you don't just run forward and get hit by spikes or run into lava or hit a spring that then sends you rocketing backwards into a bottomless pit, which are things that are common occurrences throughout every level of this game, even more so in the in the end stages. Um, but I mean, it's still fun, but it's just there's stuff like that that then over the 2D games, I feel like Sega and Sonic Team got better at developing games with those limitations in mind. So Addison, as someone who is staunchly pro-Sonic the Hedgehog, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I'll give you a little bit of my history. I was also a Sega Genesis kid. My brother had a SNES, and the Sega Genesis was my console, so I've kind of had the Sonic mentality my entire life, just back in the Hedgehog. But first off, this is a series that sold 150 million games, and it's a huge part he's breaking of... Out, he's breaking out science and math. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the southern guy's breaking out the math. Time to get scared. <laughs> Um, and it just has a huge place in pop culture. I mean, if to just like go back and wipe away everything that Sonic meant and Sonic did in the time, it's just, it's pretty revisionist history. But as far as the games themselves go, I think you have to look at it is the game is you're moving fast, but you have to control that speed and you have to control Sonic. And that's what makes the games difficult and what it's what makes them interesting. It's what set them apart from mario where mario can run but for most of the part you're just going left to right with mario and sonic took simple platforming game design took it to the next level at that point you had multiple paths and levels in sonic and you were going back and forth and up and down it was just a lot more interesting level design from a platformer perspective because that really hadn't been done very for very much before um as far as running into a spring and falling into a pit might have to call get good on that one oh god because <laughs> that's never really happened to me but you can't just go charging on holding down the right button and expect to live like you've got to be constantly paying attention to what's next and it's a game of reflexes like the skill is controlling sonic's momentum and having quick reflexes and those are my favorite types of platformers um I think that's what makes them interesting. I want to be moving fast and kind of having that controllable endless runner mentality. And that's why I like the Sonic games for but, the most part. But I feel like with a lot of those, like the, the, I guess the gotcha moments, if you will, I feel like the only way to get through them while going fast is to like intimately learn the level. And I don't know, like, and I guess like that's kind of a tough thing. Cause I think of games like Ninja Gaiden that are kind of, the same bullshit in a different style, which, I mean, I love the original Ninja Gaiden, but you're going through that game, and I I know a lot of those early levels inside and out, so I'm like, all right, this stupid bird's going to show up here, I'm going to get him before it even spawns. And I feel like in Sonic, like, I mean, I, 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 was, I was playing it earlier today in Scrap Brain Zone, one of the later levels. Um, I kept on running forward, and it'd just be like, oh, that thing below me, it just dropped out. What the, are you kidding me? And, like, yes, that is the kind of thing that you could be, you, you could be, you know, going wearisome through the game, but, like, 
there's no warning. There's really no no tell as to like, all right, this thing's gonna drop out and you're doomed. Well, I mean, that didn't start with Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm Mega Man Two had disappearing platforms all the time, and the game of but Sonic. But the disappearing is, platforms had rhyme and reason. Well, those platforms will respawn too. Usually, they'll flip around and like the spikes will face down and the land will face yeah. up. It's just a matter of placing your jumps at the right time. Like that's how you play that game properly, and that's what it was meant. The challenge was meant to come from that, and yeah. I think it's just a matter of. If that's what you enjoy in a platformer. Like, personally, as far as Mario games go, I don't really like Mario 64 so much because I think it's kind of plotting, and I just want to run fast. Get out. Which is... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want that as a platformer, I mean, there's a perfect game for you. It's called the first Rayman game. Yeah. You go negative miles per hour, if yeah. that's possible. You're just so slow and so yeah. plotting. And I mean, and I mean so you, you are... Like, you are right in the fact that Mario 64 is a much slower game, and that's because of, you know, early 3D, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But even the Galaxy games to an extent. I mean, they yeah. pick up the pace a lot more, but my favorite 3D Mario is the 3D land and 3D world. Which brings in a lot of elements of 2D Mario. Right. It's a third 3D, 2D platformers almost. Like, it's the closest you'll ever get to a combination of that. Yeah. The goal is to get to the flag as fast as you can without dying. And that's yep. what I enjoy out of platforming games. That's why I like Sonic the Hedgehog. I, it has that endless runner mentality where you keep going and you need to place your jumps right. You need to be paying attention to what's coming up on the right side of the screen and timing your jumps and avoiding obstacles. All right. So, so John, hit us. Hit us in the face with your Sonic hate. Okay. So... I think that the key problem with Sonic the Hedgehog is that he is a character that his his thing is going fast. If you boil that character down to exactly down to that one thing, he is literally named after the fact that he is fast. Um, he is named after the fact that he's fast, just as Mario's original name was Jumpman. Um, Mario's jumping is the way in which he overcomes obstacles. And completes the level. Sonic's running is a hindrance to him completing the level. Yeah, I remember as a kid wanting to get the, uh, or always avoiding the, uh, like the, the, what is it, the red shoe power up that makes you go fast because I just die. Like, there's a power up in that game that I would actively avoid because I would just go too fast and die. Granted, there's like poison mushrooms in Mario, but like, yes, a poison mushroom is going to hurt. Having a speed boost shouldn't be a thing that hurts. Right. The The difference between that poison mushroom and Sonic going fast is that that poison mushroom isn't directly... You are not losing out on that poison mushroom because you're jumping. If, if The way Sonic is treated as if you run too fast, you are likely to run into obstacles and die is completely counterintuitive because he's... He should be going fast. That's why you bought the game. You Going fast should allow you to overcome obstacles and defeat enemies. But Sonic doesn't defeat enemies by going fast. He defeats them by jumping on them. That's how Mario defeats enemies, because Mario's key power is to jump. He navigates the levels by jumping. He defeats enemies by jumping. That is his thing. Sonic doesn't do anything well by going fast. 
that so can so can we kind of chalk up like your dislike with the game as to how it was marketed you could i would i mean sure um but i <laughs> i would i would say that sonic the hedgehog is a masterpiece of marketing um, no, I mean, it's very true. Like, read Console Wars, and you yeah, will see how. It's, it's a fantastic book, whether you love or hate Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but I think that my issue with Sonic is, I think that Sonic is a very a very interesting character, and I would love to see a game where Sonic Speed is actually used as his tool for overcoming, rather than something that makes the game harder. Uh, yeah, I mean, because that's the thing, is that I feel like a lot of the way that Sega pitched the game was gotta go fast, gotta go fast, gotta go fast. When in reality, what kind of made those earlier games fun is, I guess kind of as Addison said, where you're managing the speed. And it's not, it's, it is more of a, you know, jumping is more of an important aspect of that. And, you know, traversing through the levels than it is gotta go fast, gotta go fast. Because the way a lot of those levels are built are that you'll get to a point and you will have to sit and wait. Because you have to wait for, like, a platform to move or, you know, to go on a lava block. Right, exactly. I feel like he does conquer obstacles by running fast. Like, a lot of those areas that you can avoid enemies if you keep moving fast at the same pace. Like, you don't slow down. You can just clear them out. Just knowing when you'll be able to do that and when you won't be able to do that is the key. When you need to jump, when you need to stay straight... And usually when the game stops you, it gives you a breather. And then once whatever platform you're waiting for comes up, you're going to be moving again pretty soon. Guess what? That never happens in Marble Zone. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, I, I just played that shit. There is never a point where it's like, go really fast. Oh, here's a breather. No, the whole shit's just a breather. Well, that game, I mean, that level is terrible. <laughs> it has I'm, the best music of the whole game. But, I'm a Sonic. I was gonna say the, the music. The music in pretty much all of these games is fantastic across the board. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's another thing is the variety of music. I mean, even Super Mario World had like four tracks that would pretty much repeat through most of the levels. I mean, each yeah. different zone in these games has its own soundtrack, and they're better. It's better music. It's not as catchy maybe My as the Sonic Ocean Man, Mr. Cave. Um, just any of those levels, like. Uh, the casino night zone, the chemical yep. plant zone, like those songs are iconic, and it's like Mario's songs are iconic too. But they hold up a lot better as pieces of music. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of variety in that those Sonic soundtracks, especially from the 2D era, before they decided to just give that like that the one band every song. Crush Forty. Yeah. Good old Crush 40. But going back to your point about um, you just need to know when to when to go fast, um, the problem is that y- the only way to know that is to have played the level before. Um, which, once again, Sonic's speed, therefore, isn't something that you can just use. It's something that you can only use if you already know what's going on. In Mario, you're not, you're not jumping... After you've played, you can't go through the level without jumping and just do kind of badly and then go back and speed run it now that you know when to jump. Like, you just jump when you jump because that's what Mario's good at. Yeah, like, able, I mean, that, that's... Sonic should be able to run and, and be good at that, and that you should be rewarded for running, not punished for it. 
like going back and playing uh super mario brothers and super mario brothers deluxe when that came out on virtual console um what was that early 2015 or late 2014 um i was struck by the fact that a lot of that design isn't really focused on like oh there's a surprise you're di- you died like some of it is and for how early of a, of a 2d platformer that was a lot of that is like kind of read and react like you see how this is laid out you know go and and i mean yes yeah if you do kind of just blaze ahead and you run in the first super mario brothers you're probably gonna die but even if you go at a reasonable clip you can see what's ahead of you and and react and and not die whereas i feel like in sonic because of the way that the character handles and the way that he feels it's harder to read and react to to obstacles right but it's not impossible i mean i might get made fun of for pulling out the term high level sonic play but (laughs) i mean you should be able to notice patterns and judge not just by playing the level before but like just knowing how sonic controls and how the enemies work and one thing that's i mean it's not mario it's different from mario like comparing the jump is they're two different types of games um the problem is they're not two different (laughs) types of games sonic is just mario it would be great if sonic was a different kind of game but it just plays like mario that's the that's the problem i mean you didn't have a whole lot of genres back then i mean (laughs) sure pretty much I mean, calling Sonic the exact same game as Mario is like calling Ninja Gaiden or Mega Man the same game. Sonic is an action platformer. I would would argue that Ninja Gaiden and Mega Man actually do have some similarities. (laughs) But even like... No, I meant are the same as Mario. Oh, okay. But in those cases, I mean, going back to, you know, you can break any character in a game down to their core concept that allows them to overcome enemies. Uh, Mega Man shoots you're not punished in Mega Man for shooting at enemies. Yeah, and I mean, and, and Ryu from Ninja Gaiden, he's got a sword and his, and his ninja powers. Right, and they're using, that's how they defeat enemies. Sonic is fast, so he jumps on people. I'll argue that Ninja Gaiden punishes you for progressing in the game, though. Oh, Ninja, Gaiden's, Ninja Gaiden has, is one of the worst <laughs> cases that of is, trial is, and error that, game that design. Is a, that is a debate for another podcast <laughs> in which I'll just sit here and be like, man, I don't even know how the fuck I beat that game when I was 10. Like, I try to play it now, and I'm like, I don't even know. But one major th- difference between Sonic and Mario that makes the speed and overcoming obstacles and being not afraid to run fast is the ring system as opposed to the power-ups. I mean, if you grab one ring, you're just as well off as if you had a thousand. Yeah, I hate that. Oh, it's <laughs> what makes the game work, though. I mean, I like it because you, you do have those things, like during a hard boss or a hard section, where you're like... Okay, I got hit, but shit, I just need to get that one ring, and I'm going to be okay. Right, and it's another part of how you play the game. You just got to be have awareness of rings, and when you get hit, you need to recover. Like, that's just a part of how you play Sonic. It's it's not a bad game. It just comes down to what you like. I mean, it's like saying that Sonic's kind of like F-Zero is Mario is the Mario Kart. I mean, F-Zero is kind of like that. You move incredibly fast, and you don't really know what's coming up, and you can't boost all the time. You have to use your brakes, and you have to steer. Holy and crap, if you don't I like F-Zero, something. If you don't like F-Zero, you can play 50cc Mario Kart. Like, the difference being that... They're two different games. Right, but the difference being I really think that, you're onto something. 
But the difference being that because of the way F-Zero is structured, you can see what's in front of you. Whereas Sonic is a very tight 4 by 3 aspect ratio game where once you get going, you just can't see anything. You can, though. I would argue that you can. Just about as much as you can with F-Zero, the 2D F-Zeros, especially the 3Ds, when you could be going up a hill and you can't see a turn coming and you're moving incredibly fast. And the point of F-Zero is to go fast, but to win F-Zero, you have to use your brakes, too, and you have to know when to boost. Just like in Sonic, you have to know when to slow down. You have to know when to use your power-ups. You have to know when to get rings. In F-Zero, I always feel like I can see what's coming. Um, and in... S- I believe in the F-Zero games, they even if there's a sharp turn coming up, don't they flash on the screen that there's a sharp turn they coming do. up? They do. Indeed, they do. So they, they tell you that that's going to happen. Sonic doesn't. You're just you're running, and there's a rock, and that rock has a spring concealed in it that you can't see that sends you shooting back into spikes and kills you. So, so should Sonic the Hedgehog have some kind of thing like the, uh, the magic carpet race, in, or the magic carpet level in Aladdin on Genesis, where it just has like the genie's face pops up, and it's just like, no, don't go here. Honestly, I think, I think that making... I understand that they were trying to compete with Mario, um, and so I, I get why they decided to put Sonic the Hedgehog, the character, into a 2D platformer. But honestly, I feel like that character would have been better suited in a... Like Sega at the time was doing those sprite-scaling 3D games. I think Sonic would be great in those. In some of the later Sonic games, they even did like some of the mini-games where you yeah, were behind Sonic. Sonic I feel like that, you need to be able to see ahead of Sonic. Alternatively, I would even say that what would be better would be seeing behind Sonic. Because then Sonic's speed is allowing him to get away from an obstacle, and then his speed, now his speed is use, is allowed, bleh, I can't talk, now his speed is allowing him to overcome obstacles. I mean, I think that there are moments in the Sonic history where that sort of, started to happen but then they'd abandon it um like in sonic adventure 2 when the second half of city escape when you're running away from the gun truck it's like oh now the fact that sonic is fast is allowing him to survive this they've um, done that a lot in the 3d games yeah, yeah like, since, since you're, since you're basically then. describing 3d sonic in yeah like i mean they, i would say that like in, sonic in, in the secret rings and sonic in the black knight on wii um i mean that's like how you play those games is sonic is always moving you have a behind the back third person view and you have to avoid obstacles and junk like that. And they do that in a ton. I think they do that in Lost World. Um, they do. They do. They don't do enough where the obstacle is coming from behind you. Yeah. Because I think I think that's what makes. I mean, when the obstacle is coming from from in front of you, then Sonic speed really still doesn't matter. Um, well, then you can plan ahead, like in the 3D Sonic games, sh- where you sure. see what's coming. Sure. And like I, the parkour in Lost World is pretty cool. Lost World is when it works. Yeah. My jam. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that it, it's certainly gotten better, but it's still, you're still operating around this basic concept of, yes, that allows you to see what's coming, but ultimately you're still not dealing with the fact that Sonic Speed is making it harder to deal with what's coming than making it easier for him to overcome obstacles. I'm, I But Sonic Speed's like what makes the games, it's not, just because it's the major point of the game doesn't mean that it has to be beneficial I mean, I think it does. Katamari is made difficult because you're spinning around and rolling around like crazy. Um, a lot of indie games, like the point of it is certain like issues that your character has. I mean, look at like Rogue Legacy. Like, right, but each, those, what makes that game fun is the hindrances that your character have. Those issues aren't. I don't know. If that's what makes super, the game fun. Those issues <laughs> right. aren't their superpowers, though. 
like like Sonic is a superhero who goes really fast, but would be much better off if he just walked. And that's that's bad. He's a great character in a really bad game that doesn't fit him. So he's kind of like the Flash. <laughs> yeah. Because if the Flash goes too fast, then like he'll just fucking kill everyone, man. Go back in time. But my argument would be like like Katamari again. I mean, the point of that game is you're this dude spinning around. Sure, it'd be easier if you're walking at a slow pace. I mean, Mario would be easier if you would had the time to just go step by step by step. But what makes Mario games interesting, too, is there is a speed and momentum to them. I mean, I would also say with Katamari that, I mean, the, the way that those games are designed is uh, to get as much stuff on your Katamari in as little time as possible. Like, that that's the goal of the game. So that's why you want to frantically go fast. And there are definitely times in that where, you, you know, like they, they have the ones where, like, you need to keep the Katamari at a certain degree temperature. Um, so you don't want to, like, hit water or else then you lose. Right. Sometimes, like, things that hold you back makes the game more fun. Yeah. Like, right, but those those things are See aren't... Kirby's epic yarn. Like, <laughs> that's what happens when you remove all, anything that can go bad. But, I mean, that's a fantastic game. That's very, sure. very fun. But I guess... Sure. He, and I think, I, I think where where we're not quite clicking is that I'm I'm not talking about speed in general in games being an issue because it makes them hard. I'm talking about one specific character where speed is literally the thing that he is supposed to do well, and it being a hindrance in that one particular game. I think if if in Katamari Damacy rolling was a really big problem, then then we'd be on the same page as Sonic the Hedgehog. But in Katamari Damacy, speed is not something that your character was ever told, hey, you're the fastest thing alive. So it doesn't matter if he's not that fast. Whereas Sonic is supposed to be fast and yet is regularly punished for trying to be fast. You're never punished in Katamari Damacy for rolling things up. I mean, sometimes you are. If you roll up like a really pinchy crab, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, like, the example that I gave, like, there's one where I think you need to get a bunch of hot things, and if you get a cold thing, then, like, you're, you're boned. Sure. Well, I just think that hindrance is part of the game, and it's what makes the game interesting. It's just kind of one of those things... It's a good game. It's just, is it your cup of tea? I think that the game could conceivably be better with a different main character. Like Knuckles? <laughs> Possibly, it's yeah. A cat. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would. I, I'm in this place where I don't think Sonic the Hedgehog is a bad character, and I don't think the levels in Sonic the Hedgehog games are bad levels. But I don't think the two fit together. I kind of see where you're going. Like I, I wish that someone would kind of. I wish that we could just a bit. Like there was an interview with the guy who directed Sonic Boom, um, which is hilarious. Um, I feel bad for that guy. Oh, it's man. A, I, it's, you know what? Just to do minor thing at Sonic Boom, I don't know if we can really blame the developers for that game because oh, no. they were probably like, hey, you got to do this in four months. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but there is, we got to hit that. We got to hit when the cartoon launches, guys. Yeah, but, but there, is, there was one thing that he commented in there where he said, you know, well, we didn't really want speed to be an issue because we didn't feel like people wanted that, um, which is dumb because you're making a Sonic the Hedgehog game, but... That idea that maybe we should 
maybe we should completely rethink how this works is not totally wrong. I just think the idea of, you know, abandoning speed is yeah. not where you should go with Sonic the Hedgehog. I do think, I mean, rethink the entire way that game works. Um, this is going to be a really weird reference, but there is currently a cell phone and tablet game called, I think it's like Sonic Dash. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a terrible, I mean, it's a Temple Run clone. But the boss fights in there... Um, they're coming from behind you, and you're looking at Sonic head-on as he runs toward the camera. Um, and they'll shoot missiles at you and stuff, and then you have to, like, run faster than them or get around them. And you're using your speed to defeat something that's behind you. And despite that being a kind of crappy pay-to-win game, that concept in this obscure cell phone game, I kind of felt like there. There it is. Like, that's the Sonic game that we need to be making um, that just completely rethink how this thing works and use his speed as, as, as the superpower that it should be. Yeah. So I guess taking it where, where Sonic should go in the future. Uh, have any of y'all played Sonic generations? Yeah, I have not. I have, I think they should just keep making those. <laughs> Cause that game's pretty sweet. It's been what? Four years since that came out. It was the last, like, really good Sonic game. I yeah. like Lost Worlds, but, I mean, Sonic Generations is probably one of my favorite games ever. I just think... It, yeah, 2011 was when it came out, three and a half years. It did nostalgia without being annoying about it, in, like, a celebratory way that threw in some new things. Like, you would play, like, a 3D and a 2D version of levels that were used to be only 2D or used to be only 3D. So, I think it did a lot new while still being Sonic at its roots. And I think that's where they keep, need to keep going, is pumping out more of those, that blend of 2D and 3D. The good 3D where you're Sonic and you're running straight in. Like we talked about, you can see all the obstacles you need and you don't have stupid slowdown moments. I guess, kind of, I mean... It's probably a reasonable assumption to think that there's going to be a new Sonic the Hedgehog game, if not this year, the next year for sure, as we're kind of in the, the horrible aftermath of the, the bombing of Sonic Boom, or the booming of Sonic Bomb, I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess kind of, like like John, what would you want to see if, if, if Sega came to you and was just like, alright, Sonic Team's working on a new Sonic game, and we want you to tell us what to do. What what kind of game would you want them to make? Um, I would say stop trying to compete with Mario. The console war is over. You lost. Now make a game that actually fits Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, do something where where speed helps him, not hinder him. Have him have things coming from behind him that he has to get away from. Um, have him have to get through certain areas in a very limited time like but but don't don't punish us for going fast um reward us for quick reaction time but don't just kill us when we're trying to run if if we don't know the level in advance um make a game that actually fits sonic not a game that's trying to be a more edgy mario because even lost even lost world 
is it's freaking Mario Galaxy. It's yeah. not a it's not with a some, bad with, it's with some a, more 2D stages. Yeah, and it's I mean it's Sonic Lost Worlds is a perfectly serviceable game, but even then they're still trying to be Mario, and I yep. don't get why because Sonic isn't Mario, and he could be a perfectly good character in perfectly good games if you just let him be Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Very true. So, Addison, how about you? What would you want to see? I guess just Sonic Generations 2, is that what you want? Yeah, I like Lost Worlds a lot. I think they're going in the right direction. I think in order to make another Sonic game like business-wise feasible, like they either need to... I mean, Nintendo either needs to buy Sonic or he needs to go multi-platform again. Because I think there's a lot of Sonic fans out there that don't have Wii U, and I think he's a character that especially people on the Xbox One and the PS4, like, there aren't games out there like that. So I think Sonic would do well on those platforms as well as the PC and the Wii U. I think they need to do what they do well, do what made Sonic great, like, go back to those old games, the Sonic Generations thing. Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles, nobody else. (laughs) And Robotnik. No bunnies or bees or bats or sticks yeah or cream um, the rabbit like what there whose idea bee, was that? there were bees in the first song charmy game. charmy bee charmy bee not charmy bee oh yeah well evil bees evil robo bees yeah. well I those are fun yeah that's but cool i sticks is probably the best character out of all new ones because she fits with the rest of the characters yeah i mean she goes fast and like controls like sonic but I mean, I would like if they didn't make a Sonic Boom universe-based game next. Cause yeah, they should just, they just pretend that doesn't that. exist. I mean, go back to Chubby Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I think I would like to see uh, Sonic's Epic Yarn. So ho- hold down right to win. I mean... I mean, just keep it, like, because for me, and yes, I I don't even know if I'm the minority or the majority here with the fact that I love Kirby's Epic Yarn. Um, but I think that that's a game where you could have it where you go very fast, but if you were to get stopped by an obstacle, you wouldn't die. You'd just lose rings. And that, that might mitigate, like, you'd be able to still make a Sonic game, as in those 2D games, but you wouldn't have to deal with, like, you know, getting severely punished for going fast. They should make a Sonic Musa game. (laughs) That might be fun, too. Because then you would be able to play with his speed... There'd just be, like, giant robot armies, and you and Tails and Knuckles are going around just beating the snot out of them. Or, if you played Lost Worlds, they had that Zelda level. Yeah. Think of a Sonic adventure game. That would be pretty cool. Where you use his speed to solve puzzles. Yeah. Not like Sonic Heroes. Well, all right. Uh, That's our Sonic the Hedgehog segment. Uh, Let us know what you think by sending us email at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Or uh, leaving us a comment on NintendoWorldReport.com in the forums there, and we'll probably read that. Um, we might be doing another one of these about 3D Sonic the Hedgehog games, so get psyched for that if you're so inclined. Uh, thank you for listening, and bye. Bye.
and welcome to this segment on connectivity. It is going to be about Nintendo advertising, and I am joined by Zach Miller. I can neither confirm nor deny the presence of pants for this segment. <laughs> and Donald Thiel. I've been doing the podcasting without pants thing for years now. <laughs> Feels good, don't it? Oh, yeah. You guys are going to have to upgrade to uh, nothing at all soon. Oh, it's happened before. <laughs> okay, well, I thought for this segment, um, we'll have a bit of a chat about Nintendo advertising uh, through the years. So we'll sort of start all the way back at the NES and slowly move our way uh, through the years up until probably, uh, probably Wii U. Um, probably touch on that right near the end. So let's jump all the way back to the very beginning and sort of generally talk about how we view Nintendo's advertising approach uh, during the NES days. Uh, Donald, what what do you think about it? I, I just remember at the beginning seeing how they were so determined to not mention the fact that the NES was a video game console. Now, I know it's because the Western console market had cratered pretty hard before the NES, mm-hmm. but... I remember seeing the looking at an NES ad from around the time of launch, and they're talking about Rob and Gyromite and the Zapper, but yeah. and the, the, the uh, running pad. Yeah, but you never saw. I didn't see a single NES ad that had Mario in it until about '88 or '89. By which point, the NES was pretty much ruling the world anyway. Yeah, and Mario had really taken off sort of in the pop culture space at that point, I'd say, as well. Definitely. Um, I remember seeing a lot of just the NES era generally. Uh, I remember seeing a lot of ads in comic books and magazines um, with screenshots of games and kids playing the games and being all excited about the games. And uh, and it, it wasn't just Nintendo published games. It was things like, uh, uh, God, now I'm having a brain fart. Uh, a lot of, of e- even kind of gory games like that, that side scrolling space shooter where you're going through the interior of a giant alien, um, or Contra, uh, al- the Contra games. I saw a lot of ads for those and I actually didn't see as many ads for Nintendo published games, not ads like that. Uh, in comic books. There wasn't a lot of Mario in comic books. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, uh, Tetris or anything. It was all these kind of third-party Castlevania kind of stuff. And I was very... And looking back, I'm surprised at that now, that the advertising was so third-party heavy. Yeah, a lot of those third-party games were pretty big hits at the time. So I guess it made sense to sort of try and push them and, you know, push third-party games as well as nintendo's yeah another thing like as just outside of like tv commercials and stuff you could pretty much say you know they started doing things like having serials and cartoons and yes. um nintendo power is basically started as advertising really i mean <laughs> yeah they they even i mean they would advertise the nintendo newsletter in mm. a Legend of Zelda commercial, and then later Nintendo Power would get its own ads. So you're basically giving advertising to advertising. <laughs> yeah, 
But you know what there you know what there wasn't a lot of back then and and maybe there was none. There weren't any toys. I mean, there are more Nintendo toys on the market now than there were back in the NES days. I mean, there was the McDonald's Mario 3 toys, of which I owned them all. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, action figures or or figurines or anything like that, which is another kind of weird thing to think about. Hmm. Unless they, I totally missed them. That could be. There, there, was, there was probably like some, there was probably some out there. Um, I can't think of any examples right off the top of my head, though. Yeah, this was this was before my time with with advertising, Same. so I'm only looking at it in retrospect. Yeah, the thing that um, looking back, like, comes to my mind is that the advertising was very full on. Like, they had all these different things, like I was saying, like the cartoons and all these different little extra bits and pieces uh, that they were sort of hitting the market with, like, all at once. It was a sort of a big push from uh, Nintendo America, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing. Back then, I think Nintendo of America was sort of left to their own devices to a large degree on how to advertise and sort of what decisions to make. Absolutely. Compared to today where they are held sort of by on, on a leash by Nintendo Japan. Well, it helped that the, that the person running Nintendo of America was Mr. Yamauchi's son-in-law. I suppose. Right. I remember that too, yeah. Actually, I learned that in that Sega book. But um, did, didn't Yamauchi basically say at some point that he didn't really know how to uh, approach the American market and leaned on sort of the American management there a lot like, more heavily? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, like leaning on people like Howard Lincoln and exactly, yeah. Peter Main and all, and all those, that brain trust that's left NOA since then. Yeah. Well, that's very true. I think that back then, NOA had had much more autonomy um, in the way that they uh, approached uh, selling games. They, they have virtually none anymore. It's, it's a weird thing to consider. Now they're kind of a localization wing, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, back then they were the advertising wing, and the localization, they, I don't even think they localized their own games. Well, there wasn't a whole lot to localize in those days. I mean... No, but they took out they took out religious imagery out of all their games uh, for America. All the Castlevania games had to be redone, um, uh, and I guess just straight translation, which wasn't always very good. But yeah, you're right. One of the um, greatest, probably, forms of advertising in the sort of the late NES era was the movie The Wizard as well. So Super oh, Mario yeah. Brothers three getting hyped. I guess beyond belief. And a stupid power glove. It's so bad. But <laughs> but again, they 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 gave just as much airtime to the third parties in that movie as they did to Mario Three. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. Talking yeah. playing and name dropping a lot of different uh, third party games in that movie, like Ninja Gaiden and Turtles. I know got a lot mm. of airtime in that movie. I just I actually just watched it recently for the uh for nfr the forum podcast and yeah there's a lot of third-party stuff in that list mm-hmm. i haven't seen that movie in 20 years i watched it earlier this year again actually oh yeah it's pretty i don't mind it it's all right <laughs> so I, I can't really comment too much on the um sort of the nes era because i was like born in 87 so i basically missed out on all that stuff so 
Yeah, I, I watched the cartoons. I ate the cereal, and I uh, and uh, if there was Kool Aid, I would have drank it back then. <laughs> yeah, it probably I, was Kool Aid. I I ended up watching the cartoons, but mainly when they aired in repeats. Mm. When I was in, during the Super Nintendo era, honestly, I saw that's where I oh. saw most of the Super yeah. Mario Brothers Super Show, for instance. And that Super Mario Brothers Super Show does not hold up, sir. <laughs> it's better than Captain N. Better than Cap? Well, uh, I liked Captain N. That was Cap- I have playing. a sweet spot for Captain N, even though it is <laughs> terrible in its own way. Let's it's say they're m- both better than the Zelda show. Mm. So let's move on to sort of the beginnings of the Super Nintendo. Uh, Zach, do you remember sort of what the atmosphere was like, like just maybe in the schoolyard or whatever at the time? Like, How excited were you for the Super Nintendo? People were super psyched for Mario World uh, uh, because um, I think it was just the Nintendo Fun Club. And then it turned into Nintendo Power because they covered a ton of NES games. But then when they, they started advertising heavily the SNES mm-hmm. um, and they were showing off Mario World and Pilot Wings uh, and I want to say something else, but I'm not even sure anymore. But holy crap, we were excited. And... Uh, I just, you know, everyone wanted one and, and my friends who I hung out with a lot, who already had a, uh, an NES, they got a Genesis as well as a super Nintendo. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get either one when I was that young. Um, well, how old was I? God, I was 10 or 12 when the freaking SNES came out. Uh, but I didn't have one right away. I, I waited for a while, but Anyway, we always played the Super Nintendo, and let me tell you that Super Mario World um, cold start, or whatever you want to call it, the, the, the opening's almost cinematic, you know, the demo. The demo um, level. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, yep. That blew air. We just sit and watch that. And you have to understand that the Super Nintendo introduced the world to like the Toys R Us demo kiosk. Right. And I watched all damn videos multiple <laughs> times. Yeah. And holy crap, that was a great way to advertise the Super Nintendo. They didn't have that for the NES, uh, at least not in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But they had it for the Super Nintendo, and I clicked all the buttons. It was bomb diggity. Do you remember, like, were they pushing it really hard on TV shows, like maybe in like Saturday morning cartoon time slots and that? Um, like, I don't remember seeing much of it on TV. I honestly right. don't. Mm-hmm. It was probably the, more um, sort of the extra materials outside of like TV commercials and things like that. Yeah, and Nintendo Power was at the height of its popularity back then. Yeah, uh, right. I read that religiously. I think I think all kids with video game interests read that religiously. Um, uh, but yeah, Nintendo Power did a great. That, you know, that's another thing that NOA doesn't get to do anymore is publish a propaganda magazine. Um, does anybody but, though? I mean, that's what no they have one the Nintendo really does. Mm. Yeah, and they have the Nintendo. Yeah, no, well, Directs there's now the PlayStation that. magazine and the Xbox had a magazine for a while. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but Sega never did. That's true. Oh, they had um, Sega. I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, they had Sega they, Visions. Mm. Oh, okay, I don't remember that at all. It didn't hit anywhere around in my area. Oh, okay. Must not have been mine either. But 
Yeah, Nintendo Power was the way to go, and, and I read it all the time for the the SNES coverage. I, I still have a lot of those magazines. Yeah, I, I remember there was a Super Mario World cartoon for a bit, but I think Nintendo's big problem in those days was that people just didn't understand the concept of a video game generation. So you had all these news stories coming out that Nintendo yep. had to try to counter market of, like, why does this not work on the NES? Where's my backwards compatibility? Oh, I remember that, yeah. People were mad about that. Yeah, I mean, I I got a collection of the, the Foxtrot comic strip, and they actually ran a whole week of strips about the kid trying to convince his mom that a Super Nintendo was worth it over the NES. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I used to read Foxtrot. I don't remember that. It was very early on in the, in that strip's huh. run. Yeah, I've watched a lot of those news reports on YouTube, and it's just, it is funny, like, looking back now, but I guess at the time, it's it's sort of understandable. You have these parents that had paid for the NES maybe, say, even two years earlier, and then they're like, oh, there's a new one. None of the games work on it. Like, right. It seems like a and bit the- of a ripoff. You can see the mindset, like, why some people would, like, see it like that. And the Genesis had its backwards compatibility uh you know, game genie type thing. The power base converter. The yeah, the power, yeah, power base converter. Mm. It is funny because Nintendo, like, I think they wavered. They originally sort of had the plan to include backwards compatibility, but pulled it out some at some point, like during the development of the Super Nintendo. And um, it was probably for the best, really, but it would have been I interesting. Don't think, I, I think they didn't want to sell it as an add-on. I, I don't think they wanted to go to the trouble of advertising it. Mm, mm. Where where was that in 2012? <laughs> yeah, right? It's all digital yeah. now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Super Nintendo was you know, if the if the NES uh kicks re-kickstarted the video game era and and of course it did, I think the Super Nintendo really took it up to 11. And the the Super Nintendo, you know, this is sort of the most famous console war, war just because of the sort of the back and forth advertising that Sega and Nintendo had going on. With yeah. Mostly Sega being the person. The like, aggressor. Yeah, the provoker. <laughs> Nintendo, I think to a degree, didn't engage as heavily like right off the bat. They ended up yeah. resorting to that later on, I think. But yeah, to start play- with, they tried to sort of uh, take the higher ground, the moral high ground. Yeah, the Play It Loud stuff was really a response to that after Sega had sort of slowed down because they were prepping for things like the Saturn. Mm. But yeah. the but the point was, if you had the market share, you didn't acknowledge the competition because you didn't want to bring them up to your level. I mean, you saw right. that all yeah. the time yeah. with, you know, Apple would always slam Microsoft. Microsoft never said any, said one word about Apple. And Nintendo really did the same thing up until about... 94 when you started seeing it with games like super metroid where they really started going to the wall with this sega style advertising Mm. yeah more uh kind of more in your face loud advertising you start seeing stuff on tv more uh i I remember seeing some tv commercials for mario kart actually Hmm. uh and super nintendo and super metroid now that you mention it um, and a lot of print ads for Super Metroid. I remember, sev- I, I remember a few two-page ads for Super Metroid, which was very unusual. 
Yeah, and they had and this was the and this was the point where you started seeing things like, "Ooh, 24 megabits. This is our biggest game ever." Right. Showing how just how much content was in there. I remember that was a a very high selling point in the ads for Mario RPG. Like, this is the most packed. We had to make a new chip or something to pack all this game onto this cartridge. Yeah, the the capacity of the cartridge was like a big selling point. Oh, look how look how big the cartridge is. It's it holds a lot of game here. Right. <laughs> And you also started seeing with the S, uh, the Super Nintendo, but not so much the Genesis, which is surprising now. You started seeing um, uh, really detailed art to go alongside screenshots, um, uh, whereas the, I think the Genesis was relying more solely on the screenshots and not so much the production art. Mm. Uh, but I, I feel like uh, Nintendo started to push the production art um, maybe to get people excited, like this is what the game's supposed to look like in your imagination. I don't know what it is. But that that was they did that more on the SNES than the NES. I remember that. Yeah, Nintendo did have a lot of um, like artwork in that era. They've even started reusing some of those designs. Like Mario 3D World brings back some of those yeah. classic-style designs. And, um, you know, Sega, even in its instruction manuals, at least here, they were, like, nowhere near as good as Nintendo's instruction no. manuals. They were, like... Much more bare bones. A folded-up piece of paper that was printed in uh, blue blue ink and on, on a white, white paper. That was right. it. Um, there might yeah, be examples I'd... outside of that, but I'm not sure. All the Genesis manuals that I saw were, like, black and white text on the blocky background, but all the Super mm. Nintendo manuals I had were... They were at least mostly color, if not com- all full color instruction yeah. manuals. With like really well laid out and people put thought into it. And there's a lot of production art in each one. A lot of screenshots. I remember the worst uh, manuals were the, um, actually the, the Mega Man games always had terrible manuals. Because they were kind of the Genesis style. It's just text on a white background mm. uh, with one or two screenshots. But um uh, in the Super Nintendo era, I think Mega Man 7 had a pretty good, like they upped their game on that. So it must have been a Super Nintendo specific thing. We can't get out of the Super Nintendo, though, without me calling out the advertising for Earthbound, which specifically said this game stinks. I remember that. And in addition to that, uh, because they hadn't really released an RPG since Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior. They had to include the player's guide as a pack-in with the uh, the cart, which you could get if you rented it, which made me laugh. But I, I appreciated having it. Didn't make the game any more enjoyable. Uh, but uh, I don't think you saw that too much. And you, and actually, I mean, now that we think about that, we started seeing player's guides for video games in the Super Nintendo era. Yeah, they probably started to become like saturate the market a lot more during the Super NES era, didn't it? Yeah, I had they, I had a lot of them. Yeah, I had a I had a lot of them. I used some of them for FAQ writing resources, but I think the first one was for Mario Three when that was a game that needed a strategy guide back in nineteen. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I never had that, but I I do seem to recall seeing them, and I I think I wished I had one because that game back in Back in the day was confusing to me. 
<laughs> uh, during the mid-90s, which is roughly where we're at now, the first sort of Nintendo commercials, I I guess I sort of remember seeing first, were the Game Boy Pocket ads, like the um, Game Boy on the conveyor belt, and it was getting squashed into the Game Boy Pocket. Oh, I um, don't remember that. Maybe it was only an Australian thing, but I doubt it. Um, I doubt it too. There's like, yeah, they had the original Game Boy go along a conveyor belt and then it got squished down in form factors. Oh, now it's really portable. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I sure got one. I loved my Game Boy uh, Pocket. Yeah, I didn't get a Game Boy Pocket until uh, Pokemon, which was the next like massive yes. advertising blitz that Nintendo was able to yes. put it, stuff into. Like That re- like, revitalized their, their handheld line and basically saved saved them for a few years like profit wise yeah yeah i don't know if you guys remember but leading up to the release of pokemon red and blue nintendo power had a six issue in comic insert (laughs) um of stills from the anime ah okay uh the first the first six episodes of the show i believe yeah, and they, and I remember they put a uh, st- they put a strategy guide in for the first few first part of the game in that in those Pokemon Power inserts. Yes, yes. And and I distinctly remember the first one having the still having the working names for some of the Pokemon. So they're talking about like Spectre and and something else. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they were still using those beta names, which hmm. nice. When, so when I did eventually get the game for Christmas last year, it's like. Really? What, what? What's this mature? Where's Spectre? Thing? What am I missing here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, they pushed Nintendo Power pushed Pokemon very hard, and I remember getting super excited about it in the months up to its release because every month they'd have, you know, here's one of the new Pokemon, hmm. and you know, here's Doctor Light's lab, even though it's just a screenshot of a stupid looking lab, and and. Dr. Man, Light. I just, Professor Oak, you mean. P- Professor Oak, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Light. Uh, but no, I got super excited about Pokemon, and I ate it hook, line, and sinker. I still play those stupid games, as you know. So, mm. Yeah, like, I didn't know anything, because you know, I wasn't really uh, into video games a whole lot during the 90s. It wasn't until after Pokemon I really um, became aware more of the industry and started buying like gaming magazines and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the, I found out about Pokemon just by waking up one morning and putting the telly on and um, watching the first episode. I just happened to watch the first nice. episode airing. I was like, oh, what's this? And man, that first episode is great. I yeah, still was, remember every was, story beat in that first episode. It was like pretty captivating i was like oh i've never seen anything like this before and the opening song was really catchy and then the episode ended and it said to be continued i was like oh to be continued (laughs) it was like um and then i found out you know they found out there was a game for it and all all the other things followed like the trading cards and stuff but yep got into that as well it was agonizing all this advertising of pokemon at the time and i couldn't get the game for ages because i had to save up myself like with pocket money yeah so all my friends got it bought for them and they were playing it so <laughs> i had to wait i believe months. i saved my allowance once i found out the game was going to exist i started saving my allowance and i think mm. i had just enough when it came out for red and my brother had enough for blue 
Yeah. That was that was a rough one for me just because that was the same year that Ocarina of Time came out and Oh I, yeah. I was so focused on getting that one I didn't even consider Pokemon. And then my my parents like to hold back a Christmas gift for New Year's. Uh, say that, you know, Nancy New Year brought it. So I, I get Pokemon Red for New Year's, my brother gets blue, and all of a sudden, oh crap, we need another Game Boy. Uh, <laughs> and this is this is also around the time when they started releasing um multicolored uh play it loud Game Boys. Right. Uh not yeah, just yeah. red and blue and yellow and, and green, but also the the hideous see through clear plastic ones. There was an actual clear plastic Game Boy that looks awful. I actually wanted one of those. Huh? I actually wanted one of those see-through plastic Game Boys. My friend had one of those. And I also wanted the see-through plastic N64, so what do I know? I I actually wanted that as well. (laughs) Um, And I've seen them. They're they're actually kind of... Wait, compared they, to the Game Boy, they're kind of pretty. Did they did they do like a just a clear plastic N sixty four? I thought they were all colored. They were all colored for the N sixty four. Yeah, but it was and, like and the controllers they came with were were colored clear yeah. colored see through plastic yeah. too. Mm. Yeah, I think the yeah, I think the, the N sixty four one was like atomic purple was the color they used for that. I have a I know there was a reddish one as well, watermelon uh, red. That's the controller I've got. Anyway, my brother. Anyway, yeah. Uh, this so this is about when the play it loud stuff started out. Yeah, they definitely once Pokemon it here. They definitely ramped up like commercials for Game Boy a lot. I do remember a lot of um, a lot more like seeing it a lot more and stuff in Australia. I remember seeing. I remember seeing uh, ads for handheld versions of console games. Like Bubble Bobble and Tetris mm. and DuckTales, a lot of Capcom stuff. I remember that was a big selling point of the Game Boy. Right. Yeah, like the I remember the Dr. Mario and Yoshi commercials that I saw. They had NES and Game Boy. Right. Mm. So uh, back in was that during sort of during the NES during the NES era? So well, they right. were making ad, they were making ads and advertising both games. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, they they yeah. would do both both versions of the game at once, like one one to play with you know portably on the road, and then the other one just to play at home. Yeah, right. And they obviously didn't start didn't advertise that for the Super Nintendo. Although I I do remember that Mario I I seem seem to remember they tried to tie Mario Land two into Mario World. Yeah, that uh, sort I of makes sense. They have that. similar sort of like aesthetic like as close as you can probably get yeah um well, so we could have yeah. jumped over the n64 so let's have a little chat about the n64 like around the launch of that because that was a long time coming that was being hyped for at least two years out right but nick we didn't talk about the culmination of the play it loud ad campaign what, what which was... was a little thing called the virtual boy oh uh, was that included in that campaign it was in that campaign. The box itself screams, play it loud. Uh, yeah, I guess. I've seen the box, yeah. Because the Virtual yep. Boy never came out here, so... Uh, the Virtual Boy did not have a good ad campaign uh, because you obviously couldn't show screenshots in 3D, but you could 
They did advertise screenshots in red and black, and they said, we swear it's in 3D. Uh, <laughs> but you could also go to Blockbuster here in the States anyway and rent the system and take it home yeah. for like, you know, three days or whatever. And when you brought it back, they gave you a coupon for like $5 off the system at retail, hmm. which backfired tremendously because <laughs> people would rent the system get a migraine, take it back, never buy it again. And a few months out, I very distinctly recall my Blockbuster started selling the systems they had. Oh, wow. <laughs> for dirt cheap. And for yeah. some reason, I never bought one but because I hated it at the time. Mm. You um, chose wisely, Zach. <laughs> I chose wisely, and then I paid $120 20 <laughs> years later uh, to buy oh. one new in box. So. Oh, Yes, yes, I was that guy. I I was. And now I kind of like it. Now mm. I sort of like it. If I wear my glasses, this is the weirdest thing in the world to me. If I wear my glasses when I play the Virtual Boy, I can take it and I don't get a headache. <laughs> I I, I have was to wear kinda... my glasses to see something that's a centimeter away from my eyes. Ugh. I've I, considered I'm... buying one for years, but I've just never pulled the trigger. My one experience with the Virtual Boy involved Waterworld, so I'm a little biased, shall we say. Oh, I'm sorry. One of the only, one of the few Western-developed, Western-published-only games. So yeah, Virtual Boy was kind of a, a wash for Nintendo. They it sort of failed within a year, right? So Yeah, it was off, it was less than a year it was when it was off mm, shelves. Advertising probably dropped off pretty quick after launch, I'd imagine. Yup. <laughs> Along with the game releases. <laughs> yeah. So um the the next you know, the next big system was the N sixty four. So like I said, they were hyping this up for at least two years, I think, like just reading about it online and that. That was it was a long time coming for a lot of people. And, you know, Mario sixty four didn't disappoint. It was a no. massive success and uh paved I remember the way I remember it. seeing screenshots of the Early builds, I think it was at whatever E3 was at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember seeing um, Zelda concept art even back then. Well, you probably saw a lot of those um, pictures of that demo, right? With like the Link fighting the metal Dark Link right. or whatever. Right, yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, the, I mean, Nintendo Power was still going great guns at this point. So they sent out their video with everything yes. you could do on it. <laughs> But I think the oh, greatest. Oh, those videos. Yeah, the although I think the best advertising they had for the N sixty four was at, was the fact that it came out in Japan in June. So that that summer, my local microplay store they imported an N sixty four, and you could pay pay a buck for five minutes of it, and that was <laughs> enough to get me hooked on Mario sixty four. Too bad I never ended yeah. up owning the N sixty four version of it. Of course. Oh, wow. <laughs> if I was at store, I would have been charging more than a buck, though. <laughs> you could have gotten away with it, too. could have gotten away with, yeah, $4 a play or something. That, that, was, another, that was another thing that I, 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 I actually played demos for that. I feel like there were demo stations at certain stores where you could actually play Mario 64. Uh, I think it was just like messing around uh, in the castle. But, mm -hmm. God, that was so good. And then one of my friends got an N64 pretty much at launch and 
Oh, oh, like just, mm. I can't even describe how exciting that was for me uh, to play Mario in 3D. It's unbelievable. And the promise of Zelda, Nintendo 64, Nintendo Power's constant promise of Ocarina of Time uh, was mm. too much to handle. They hyped the hell out of that game. With, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, <laughs> Ocarina of Time looked amazing even in the early screenshots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some of those big and- screenshots look rough compared to the final product, but um, they still have some sort of, like even now, I find some of them charming. Like there's a screenshot of Link just like, uh, in a like a bunch of trees among some trees. Yeah. Um, even that looks kind of magical still to me. I remember seeing the uh, back when they were going to make Earthbound '64. I remember seeing screenshots and character models from that, and and having played the original Earthbound, not really liking it. I thought maybe I'll like this one. It looks really good. Then mm. of course it never happened. So. Do you remember any major like commercial campaign for Mario sixty four? Like, how did, was there like a one commercial sort of that they played a lot, or was it sort of that more underground form of advertising again, where it was the indoor in-store demos and magazine covers and things like that? I think it was a lot of the the in-store stuff because I yeah. The only thing I remember from that time period as far as TV ads is they had switched from the now you're playing with power thing to get in or get out. Yes. Uh, yep. Right. Mm. I, uh, I myself do not remember um, any TV ads for specific games until you start getting to things like GoldenEye. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and the, Mario Kart 64. The, the famous Ocarina of Time uh, commercial as well. Yeah, yeah. Or th- Star Fox the- 64. Yeah. yeah. And and the Super Smash Brothers ad with, you know, you have all these Nintendo characters suddenly they're beating <laughs> the crap out of each other to the sounds of so happy together. Yeah, that was a gr- <laughs> that's a great commercial. <laughs> I like that one. Um I guess early in 64, um Nintendo probably felt like they didn't really have to try that much. They probably felt pretty confident that people were going to buy it anyway um which is a point i was going to bring up during the nes like they sort of were preaching to the choir a lot you know during that era they didn't really have to go as hard as they probably did right you know yeah um because they were the most they were just the the default most popular platform holder it, it wasn't until like the n64 and later on they actually had to start trying a bit harder to actually you know, successfully advertise to people. Yeah, they had to they had to start advertising once the PlayStation started being successful. Yeah. The 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 most damaging video game ad in history as far as Nintendo is concerned is the one for Final Fantasy 7. Mm. Yup. Yeah, that cinematic uh trailer, right? Yeah, you you hear the stories about how, you know, someone bought the game because of Final Fantasy 7 because of the ad. And they returned it because they didn't know there was reading involved. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Because, um, you know, back in those days, like, um, just on the schoolyard, people didn't really understand console, you know, like, pe- you know, people in grade five or whatever didn't really understand the, how consoles work to a large degree. So people were saying, oh, the graphics on the PlayStation are so good because look at this movie. Look at that. It can do that. Yeah. It's putting all the power into the movie, but, you know, it's just a 
pre-recorded video. It's not doing anything. Right. Um, and the gameplay itself might not be great or look great. That was like Sony's sort of like one of its like aces that the, the FMV video was very impressive. Absolutely. Nintendo, unfortunately, couldn't, couldn't match that. Nintendo did actually have run ads, or at least Capcom did, for the N64 version of Resident Evil 2. I'm sure that was. I remember that. Well. I remember yeah. that. That was like a little, like too little too late, though. It wasn't RE2 like in 2000, didn't it? Did that release in 2000? Uh, I think it was oh, 99, but it was, oh. it was, like, if it was, RE2 came out, RE2 came out on the PlayStation in early 98. Right. And I think it was a little. It was anywhere from eight months to a year later on the N64, and mm. by that point, yeah, yeah, it was too late. I I seem to remember a lot of the N64 advertising uh, focused on the fact that it had four-player multiplayer. So mm-hmm. I remember Wave Race had a commercial focusing on that. Mario Kart did. GoldenEye did. Yep. Um, I think I even saw uh, some ads on uh, in magazines for Turok 2, having a multiplayer mode with four people. Mm. Uh, and I remember, I actually, that's another thing. I remember seeing ads about the original Turok having kind of its own, like the original dual st- dual stick control scheme. Like you could aim and walk in, in different directions. That was a big deal at the time. Right, okay. Yeah, you know, having four-player standard on the console, it was a big deal. I remember even... Because I got an N64 late. I got it in late 99. And um, having four controller ports was really great. Like, when I was playing at a friend's house, two-player just seemed so... It wasn't as fun. Yeah. So quaint. You need. You I was need, doing this on the NES. To, you need to buy an extra accessory to have four-player. <laughs> Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad you lost like the music in Mario Kart sixty four when you had more than two people playing. <laughs> yeah, you lose a lot the more people you start adding to that game. We we tried playing uh, Mario Kart sixty four PAX East, not this year but last year, and I think we all came away with migraines because the frame rate drops so much. With uh, with four people, it's just brutal. It depends what level it is. Like if it was in, if you it was Rainbow Road, mm, yeah, the most basic level in the game. Anyway, the most infamous form of um, advertising during the N sixty four era was definitely those VHS tapes for like Diddy Kong Racing and Star Fox sixty four. Hell yeah! Those badly acted propaganda pieces donkey kong 64 had one too oh really yeah. oh god that star fox one i still have I, I still shake my head whenever somebody drops it into a podcast or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that was that was not a i mean it was an effective ad campaign and the star fox one especially uh put some jabs at uh the competition uh which the other ones didn't really do mm. And the 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 Donkey Kong sixty four one made me convinced me that Donkey Kong sixty four would be good, so fuck them. <laughs> yeah, the, and their stupid I, VHS video. They succeeded. <laughs> I got all I need. I didn't get the Donkey Kong sixty four one, but I did get the Banjo Kazooie one, and that was enough. Thank oh, I you. did too. <laughs> yeah, didn't I feel like Ocarina of Time had one? I'm I'm not really positive though. 
No, that was probably too early. Mm. I don't think they were doing the, videos yet. The Star Fox advertising would have been like fairly impressive because they were plugging the the fully voiced game and the rumble pack. Yes. That was yes. would have been impressive for an N sixty four game. Because I, I remember when I got Mario Tennis, like you know, a few years later, I was impressed by some of the voice samples in that game. I was, oh wow, they have voices. <laughs> <laughs> I w- heck, I was surprised when uh, Mario sixty four gave him a voice. That was really surprising to me. I suppose I actually didn't play Mario sixty four until two thousand and three or two thousand and four. Oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs> as as long as you're not going to say your first time playing it was Mario sixty four DS, I think we can handle it. Uh, I can't remember, but um, I think oh, I God. I think I bought the Mario sixty four off eBay in two thousand and three, and then I yeah, okay. bought the DS one in two thousand and four, which oh, I comp- I did finish the DS one. <laughs> but I, I bought Mario sixty four at least two more times since then. So <laughs> this is worse than talking to Neil. <laughs> but uh, I can I can just quickly going off another tangent, I can relate to the impact my 64 had because when I got my N64, I just happened to get Ocarina of Time with it. I didn't even know what Zelda was. So when I first played that game, it was mind-blowing because I, I got Star Wars Episode One, like the pod racing game, and I played that a lot. And then I was like, oh, I was... That had a lot of advertisement behind it because it came out around the time of the movie. Yeah, definitely. So I played that for a bit and then dropped in Ocarina and... It was pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you guys will have to correct me. I don't remember Majora's Mask having a big ad campaign behind it. It did. I was really hyped for Majora's Mask because that was probably the first game that I followed, like one of the first games I followed heavily before it came out. And they had a lot of um, pictures and um, stuff in the magazines here. And they, they ran those commercials closer to release in, like, in Japan. I think there wasn't a, one with like the moon about the moon crashing and it was they did yeah. run some like ominous sort of commercials during that released period huh yeah there's there is some tv ads for majora's mask but the um i, I really wasn't looking for it at that point because mainly I, I was watching a lot of wrestling so all of the n64 ads i was seeing was for the was for like wrestlemania 2000 and no mercy yeah right which are good games to be fair oh, yeah I don't even like wrestling, and I like those games. Oh, you know what? You know what had a heavy ad campaign on the N sixty four is is Pokemon Stadium and Stadium Two. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Huge ad campaigns, both on TV and in magazines. Mm. You can play your take your Game Boy Pokemon and see them in three D. Yeah. You can even put the damn d- Game Boy cart in this stupid looking adapter and plug it into the back of the N sixty four and make the controller twice as heavy. And then you can play your game on the TV, too. Yep. It's like a super Game Boy for Pokemon. I know a lot of people that were tempted to get a 64 just for Stadium at the time. Nice. And over here, when for Stadium, I, um, uh, like a potato chip company, Smith Chips, ran a promotion for, for it with um, those... They had, like, holographic cards of all the Pokemon. Ooh. Um, that you could flip around. Like you say you got the Bulbasaur card, you could move it back and forth and watch it evolve into Ivysaur and then into Venusaur. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I, my dad worked... cards. Yeah, yeah. My dad worked for the company, so I got the entire book 
like without oh, oh. <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool oh. i still got it you gotta put a picture of that shit on the website i want to see that i may have i may i may have done it at some point i think i did a pokemon okay. thing a, a few years ago i'll have to look for it yeah man that would be cool it is but pretty yeah, cool. i i uh i got super excited about pokemon stadium and i played the heck out of it but uh uh you know you guys probably know there's just not a lot to that game mm. uh it's not like because i feel like the ads kind of looking back kind of misrepresented the game i thought it would be like pokemon red and blue or pokemon gold and silver basically in 3d where it's really mm. more of a tournament i've wanted that since the n64 i've wanted oh, a 3d rpg yeah. just a third person rpg yeah. i've won it so bad well we got we got <laughs> that stupid uh pokemon dark what is it called donald yeah uh the pokemon coliseum or xd xd yeah yeah those i gale I of darkness li- right yeah and yeah. pokemon stadium 2 was actually the first game i ever bought with my own money to the tune of $90 Canadian. Good God. <laughs> also known as buying a game in 2015, but that's another story. <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, I recall that N64 and Super Nintendo games were both stupid expensive back then, even even in North America. I believe, I believe most Super Nintendo games, and the prices varied widely, so most Super Nintendo games would be maybe 40 bucks mm. up here, but then Mario RPG was 70. Hmm. My dad almost had a heart attack when I asked him for that one for my birthday. He was like, no, what are you talking about? But he got it for me. I love that game. Um, okay, let's move on to the like Game GameCube and Game Boy Advance quickly. Well, what about the Game Boy Color came out and took over the handheld market like wildfire? As, yeah, okay, Game Boy Color, yeah. Yeah, it it basically I I don't think it uh launched alongside Pokemon Gold and Silver, but uh they were pretty close together and I remember the advertising for both of them pretty much referencing each other. Mm. Cuz the cuz the Game Boy Color came out just after Pokemon did. Yeah, I thought it was a bit before. Like just after Red and Blue. Oh, okay. I'm misremembering. But yeah, Gold and Silver weren't that far out. I think they were two mm. years ahead of Red and Blue. Right. Or after Red and Blue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I got. I remember getting a Game Boy Color specifically for Gold and Silver. I remember going to school and just uh, watching someone's Gold and Silver play in color, like just the opening, the opening cinematic thing. And I was, oh, it's so good. The color is so strong. <laughs> Yeah, I, I ran off of a, a brick Game Boy and the Super Game Boy until it was announced that Chris, that Pokemon Crystal was going to be Game Boy Color only, and then it's like, okay, I have mm. to upgrade now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really right. remember too much about the advertising during that era. Um, I think there was a like there was a commercial dedicated to saying, oh, look, now it's in color. There was it was probably like I think there was it was just showing a Game Boy screen, and then they dropped some color on it or something like that. Well, wasn't Pokemon Yellow uh, a color game? It was uh, the opening intro was, and the game sort of had a little bit more selective color palette placing. It wasn't like Gold and Silver, right? It wasn't full color, no. but um, it was for the Game Boy Color, right? Yeah, it did. or it had at least it had Game Boy Color uh, 
options. Yeah, it did. The opening, yeah. the most color in the game, I think, though, is definitely just the opening movie with Pikachu running and surfing and all that. Yeah, definitely. And then they, you know, they released several DX versions of old Game Boy games on the Game Boy Color, and that was I remember ads for those specifically, uh, mm-hmm. especially for um, uh, Link to the pa- uh, not Link to the Past, Link's Awakening. I guess it would have been, uh, you know, it's like that era's HD remake in a way. Exactly right. Yes, and. And there's a special color dungeon, yep. new dungeon. Colorful. Buy it again. <laughs> Did you buy it, Zach? I bought it again. And then I bought it again on 3DS. Mm-hmm. See, I, I resisted the urge to rebuy those games until virtual until they came out on the virtual console. So I'm kind of <laughs> lucky. I didn't even yeah. own it until 2006, probably. We never got our DX remake of uh, Metroid 2. Mm, It could still come. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, let's move on to the the GameCube. We'll try and wrap this up a bit. Um, The the advertising campaign that I remember from the start of the GameCube's life was all those cubed ones, like all those posters with uh, people and things stuck inside these giant cubes. You guys remember that? Oh, I... I watched it yesterday and I just had to shake my head. It's like, really? This is what you're going to go with? No wonder the PS2 kicked your butt. I have, it's weird. I have virtually, I have virtually no memory of the GameCube uh, advertising, which is weird because that was the first system I bought with Mm. my own money Mm. um, and went to the store. I actually sat outside the store for the first time. That was my launch day game. Sat outside a Walmart for three (laughs) hours before they opened. But I have no memory of any of the advertising. I was following the GameCube launch quite heavily because I was buying all the um, Nintendo magazines here. None of like there wasn't really an official Nintendo magazine, so it was one of the unofficial ones. But um, it was pretty exciting in the lead up to the Cube's launch, just seeing what sort of launch titles it was going to be, and I was pretty hyped to um, get to hear that Sonic was coming to the GameCube because I was a Mega Drive owner back in the day. So I was like, Sonic was one of my first games. So I was pretty excited for that. And the launch of the GameCube here, there was a pre-order bonus that came with a special uh, mini CD that had trailers and uh, desktop wallpapers and stuff on it. So that was pretty good. Yeah, I think they sent that out to the Nintendo Power subscribers in North America because I, I remember getting something like that mm. in around the time of launch. Yeah, I had let my subscription lapse at that point. <laughs> uh, I had I had finally come to the realization that it was propaganda. Uh, Nintendo <laughs> Power was propaganda, so I started reading EGM and Game Informer yep. right around the launch of the GameCube to try and decide whether or not to get a GameCube, or an Xbox. I made the right call. I I would have probably let mine lapse, except I was in the magazine around that t- around the time of GameCube launch, so I kind of stuck around for a few extra years just out of respect. Nice. <laughs> what, did you get a letter in, or, or, or what did you get? A Pokemon team. Oh, nice. <laughs> 
Um, so one of the next, I can't remember. There's a fair few like different uh, GameCube advertising campaigns. One of the most memorable ones was the Who Are You campaign. Uh, probably around, that came out around 2003, 2004 or so. And the, my most vivid memory from that campaign is just seeing online uh a guy people dressed in suits with wearing like mario heads holding up signs in new york or whatever saying who are you and that was you know a com- their campaign <laughs> oh do you guys remember that i don't remember that neither do i i had no idea what that was even supposed to be about yeah i think you know the who are you campaign was just meant to be like, oh what hero are you what sort of gameplay are you i guess you can be any kind oh. of gameplay on a nintendo platform except uh rpgs and <laughs> this this and this maybe huh um yeah so that was sort of the last i, I remember a big ad campaign around connectivity i don't remember uh, an ad campaign for... i remember them pushing it at like corp at corporate level like e3 and stuff I remember seeing ads in magazines for um, uh, Legend of Zelda Adventures, Four Swords Adventures, and um, uh, what was the other one that they pushed heavy? Crystal Chronicles? Uh, yeah, Crystal Chronicles. You're right. Mm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I remember those two specifically. And I remember buying uh, Four Swords Adventures largely because of the ads I saw, huh. which makes me sad now to think I did that. I just bought four swords because it was zelda so see i never played the original four swords so i had no neither did i uh yeah i had no inclination or or no memories of that series Mm. but you know it was a good game uh but i don't think it really sank in until i bought it that i'd also have to buy a whole bunch of cords and then find all these people with game boy advances See, I I didn't have that problem because I had three friends and we all had we were all Nintendo, so we all had everything. So it was really easy. Yeah, Yeah. I remember once we even hooked up uh, the Game Boy players together and played two-player Super Circuit on two different TVs. Ha! I don't remember if there was a I don't remember if there was an ad campaign for. uh, the Game Boy Player, but I feel like there probably should have been. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a fairly big push. I remember, um, I can't remember any examples, but I was excited for it to come out. I got it for Christmas, probably, yeah, 2003. Yeah? Yeah. I love that thing. I, I don't think I've ever unhooked my Game Boy Player from my GameCube. There's no reason not to, or there's no reason to. You know, the GameCube actually turns into a cube, right? When the Game Boy Player is connected, it was right. It isn't actually cube shaped. Yeah. Right? My yeah. <laughs> my only re- my only regret though is that I have a purple GameCube and a black Game Boy Player. So it, oh uh, no. So, any other comments for the GameCube sort of era, guys? It was it wasn't uh, really a big successful era for Nintendo. They're up against two, uh, like pretty popular alternatives uh even though True. microsoft only sold a little bit more than uh, nintendo's console that generation it had the mind share of it like way more mind share absolutely did that's true and it's it's a real shame because i don't think i think it's much easier to go back to gamecube games than xbox games mm. for example or even most ps2 games i think gamecube has aged far better in terms of gameplay and just aesthetic yeah 
the just the Xbox in general, there's, you know, I'm not that well versed in what's on the what's available for it, but just a lot of the games, you know, there doesn't seem to be as many games that are great on the Xbox. No, I, I mean, Halo. If you like Halo, Kotor, but you can get that on the PC. Mm. A lot of the games right. do go to PC, which is like a problem for that system. Yeah, but I will say the secret best retro game system Nintendo's ever put out, it's not the Wii, not the Wii U, it's the GameCube. Because they got all of those collections of games that still have, some of them still haven't even come out on future virtual consoles and probably hmm. never will. Hmm. They also had the, they also had the, uh, uh, they also had the Game Boy, Game Boy Player, which nobody else obviously had. A thing like that. Okay, let's move on to the. We'll just make it the final console for today. The Wii, the the, the big. Well, the big that's, Nintendo that's, return. That's the only. That's the last thing they've advertised. So we're good. <laughs> Pretty there has, much. There has been no uh, next console, right? It's, the Wii's almost ten years yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that tablet add-on thing they did for it. Right, right. That they didn't advertise for very well. I can't believe the tablet was like three hundred dollars. I know that was kind of a rip off. <laughs> okay, okay. Um let's go back to the the launch and just before the launch of the Wii. Uh I feel around this time a lot of the gaming community, especially a lot of the old Nintendo fans from the NES days were primed for a Nintendo return to form. People sort of had a, a groundswell of a goodwill towards Nintendo being the underdog and they sort of wanted to see them return to a, a, a position of strength which is similar to what i think happened to sony with the the ps4 in a way it uh, just yeah. just so happened that the Wii also had you know it was wildly different to anything else that had come out before so it, it caught on with the, the casual crowd and i think at this time and they had it on freaking ellen exactly you know yeah. and, and the today show i think <clears throat> around this time nintendo PR and like their advertising uh, department really had had something nailed in. They finally worked out what to sort of to do with this new system in a way. Because I remember they started off by going to a lot of uh, bloggers, like popular bloggers, not even gaming bloggers. It was like the, the mommy, mommy bloggers, mommy yeah. bloggers, exactly. And they I had Ellen, that. and they they pushed it online uh, through various different. Um, outlets that weren't traditional in where you would advertise game consoles. Uh, and then they, when the system came out, they actually had a advertising campaign that was focused and they stuck with it for at least two years, which was the, um, the two Japanese guys, uh, we would like to play at. Oh, we would like to play. Yep, which yep, were, yep. I thought were very clever and very well done at the time. Um, because before that, they would just throw out commercials for individual games or have some half-hearted advertising campaign like the Who Are You on. But this was a real... Everything sort of came together for them at the beginning of the Wii. Definitely, and it, it was all thanks to Wii Sports. Yeah. We didn't need anything else. We, we needed no other game, I mean, clearly, uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the console's life than Wii Sports. Just reading about that, watching people play it on videos watching people play it on TV. That's all I needed. Yeah. Wii Sports. The new Zelda game was coming out too. That was nice, but no, I was in it for Wii Sports. Yeah. 
Wii Sports was very like very fun and did definitely appeal to you know obviously it appealed to a massive audience. I I played it I I'm not kidding you. I played Wii bowling with my neighbors across the hall in the apartment building I was in mm. every day for 4 months. Wow. Every day. Every day. Every day. After yeah. work. Wow. Wow. I cuz I didn't get my Wii un, until literally the week that Super Smash Brothers Brawl came out and sure I played a little <laughs> Wii Sports but they were they were firing on all cylinders with a DS as well at that point. Oh, uh, yeah, had, that's true. Completely forgot about the DS. With the uh, the touch generations or whatever they called it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was massive as well. Yeah, just going... I mean, they were... I was seeing ads for Elite Beat Agents. I think they ran all the advertising for that game in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing it here. But yeah, the, but those those Wii ads were really effective at getting a, getting the point across. Now I don't think they needed to do a Wii would like to play for Metroid Prime Corruption. No, I no yeah, they were no, but, they were at, skewing that towards the hardcore crowd. Yeah, even did they do one for Mario Galaxy? They might have done a similar thing with Galaxy. It wasn't. It was sort of themed the same way, but now I don't remember seeing television ads for Galaxy. They did make one. I just. I just can't remember. Um, but and and then the other, the, it was the touch generations. It was Wii Sports, but then they also really pushed uh, uh, Wii Fit very hard. And then they yep. pushed Wii Sports Resort a little bit, but not as much as you'd think. Probably because it was too late in the game uh, to really care anymore. Yeah, I was su- sort of surprised that never hit harder. They didn't really try pushing that in a massive, massive way. It seems like they just wanted to put it out there, make it sell fairly Hope well. You know? it. Maybe people, maybe they were just hoping people would see, Oh, new Wii sports and they'll just know about it. But right. And, and it helped that the, they packed the Wii sport, the, the Wii motion, motion plus. plus in with like four or five different games. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it is kind of a, I feel like the Wii motion plus, is the first time that they just kind of pooped out a console accessory without really giving a shit, uh, and uh, and then and then they stopped advertising everything altogether. Yeah, the... yeah. This was around 2010, right? So, yeah, that year at E3, 2010 E3, that was was that the year Donkey Kong Country was unveiled. That... That was New Zelda, New Donkey Kong, New Kid Icarus, New 3D yeah. stuff, Santa Claus is in our booth giving out hand jobs. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> New hardcore games that you're not probably not going to see on TV. And you never I, ne- I don't remember seeing really any of those games on TV. So they didn't even even push print ads. Donkey Kong Country that cuz I thought the whole point of making a new Donkey Kong Country was because of the nostalgia card and they You'd think that they would have pushed that hard in the mainstream because Donkey Kong yeah. Country was a massive hit on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand. It, it's somewhere along the line. The, this, this might be about when they started, you know, going into let's worry about the next console mode. Um, and then Japan just never told mm. them to advertise it. 
One of the things I've also thought in recent years that when they moved their, what well, they moved a lot of uh, NOA to Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's yeah. main base And a lot of people, a lot of the PR people, like higher up PR people left the company around that time. And I think they've sort of struggled a bit ever since, like during the end of the Wii life cycle, uh, after those people had left, uh, the advertising plan basically just rode the coattails of what they'd set up from the Wii launch and didn't really yeah. deviate too much. And it was a big problem for the Wii U when it launched because it seemed there was nobody at the wheel anymore. <laughs> there, was, there was no one driving well, the ship. Well, and Reggie wasn't in charge anymore. Hmm. How do we know Reggie's not just an actor anymore? I mean, <laughs> I think he is. I think I, I honestly, I honestly believe this. I honestly believe he's a figurehead. I don't Especially think he has any. Especially now that uh, what is what president of Nintendo? Yeah, America? president of NOA, CEO of NOA. Uh, CEO. Yeah. Yeah, um, Reggie's still like. Is is he still president? He would have to. I be. think so. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't think he does much every day. Uh. And and this is about the time where I started feeling like maybe NOA doesn't really have any autonomy at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because if if their market if NOA orchestrated the Wii's advertising campaign at the beginning, they're they are fucking brilliant people. Mm. Clearly. Uh but seeing that they've done absolutely nothing with the Wii U it just makes me wonder if that was a Japan call or if all those people left. I mean, advertising the Wii U should have been, like, to a degree, it should have been easy. They should have just come out. They should have called it something blaring, else. Blaring it out there that this is Wii 2, Wii 2, you know. Yeah. Even if it was still called Wii U, they should have been on a lot of the talk shows, like, a lot of different places shouting from the rooftops that this is the big sequel hyping up wow the new Wii you know that whereas the biggest print thing I ever saw for the Wii U was at a store at like a Best Buy or Fred Meyer hmm. uh, it was a it was not even an ad it was a Wii U is different than Wii with yeah. a bunch of check boxes will it play Wii U games well hmm. the Wii won't but the Wii U will yep I do remember there was one commercial that they put out for Wii U just before launch and it was lots of different um, family situations in different colored uh, squares like an apartment building sort of set up the Hollywood squares ads yeah yeah that Uh, one and it would zoom in and like stuff and show people playing and then move into a different one right is that how it went yeah because I I just saw one the other day for it was looking at YouTube stuff for new Super Mario U which was basically you're playing on the screen and then somebody wants to watch the baseball game. So yeah. they switch it to the off TV play. Yeah. That See, I never even saw a TV. So I should add about that. Yeah. The only reason I saw it, cause I was looking up Nintendo ads on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there was just early on in the way years life. There was just nothing. There was, they just didn't have anything really, which is a, no. it was an entirely opposite situation to the Wii. Anyway, let's wrap that up. This is this up. This this has been going quite a while. So, thanks guys for having a chat about advertising and other bits and pieces. 
I like nostalgia. <laughs> go, go buy some more nostalgia on the eShop, Zach. I, I do almost every week. <laughs> Assuming there's anything to give you. Yeah, right. any, anything First new. they have to release stuff, and then I will generally buy it. <laughs> and, and then we have to hope that Konami stuff doesn't get yanked down. Oh, I don't even talk about I mean, I bought all this Konami stuff I'll ever want, but man, I hope that doesn't happen, man. It just sucks. Look forward to those cheap um, plug-and-play uh, things with a whole bunch of Konami classics on it in about five years' time. <laughs> Oh, now you're making me sad. A- oh. AV composite out only. Konami's with... NES NES collection on a joystick. <laughs> hey, yeah. at least that that means we would get Contra finally. But it would be a really crummy. Didn't we version. get Contra on the Wii? No. What? Really? We got Super C, but we didn't get Contra. Wasn't there a whole? Well, it. Wasn't there a Contra Wii disc collection? I don't think so. No. What would I think? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking Metal Slug. Yeah, so Metal Slug. <laughs> uh, Super C is better than Contra anyway, so I think we got out okay there. All right, see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's it for Connectivity this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please send your listener mail questions to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. If you enjoy Connectivity, please consider reviewing and rating us on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.